No one likes to feel stuck, especially by your cloud. But the IBM cloud is the most open and secure public cloud for business. It can manage all your apps and data anywhere. Smart loves problems. IBM, let's put smart to work. Visit ibm.com slash flexible. This is The Sporting Life on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Here's Jeremy Schapp. We start with a new memoir. And it is rare in its honesty and the way that it details what it takes to be an athlete and some of the things that can happen along the way. It's about jealousy and disappointment and failure. And it's very, sometimes painfully honest. It's Barry Zito's new book, Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. Barry Zito, of course, the Cy Young Award-winning pitcher for the Oakland A's, who signed a $126 million contract later with the San Francisco Giants, and whose career did not end up the way that he thought it would or many others thought it would. And it is a pleasure to welcome to the show Barry Zito. Barry, thank you for being with us. Jeremy, my pleasure. Barry, I mean... You talk about yourself. It, it's, I said rare. It's rare, um, for someone to be able to open a vein the way you have here and speak so candidly about some of your own shortcomings and some of your own struggles. Um, what's it like now to have this book out in the world? You know, it's, it's, uh, I think at first it was a challenge to really say how deep into the, the darkness of myself am I going to go and expose and, the more I got into it and the, you know, the, as the writing process was evolving, I realized that, you know, it's a true test for me personally to see if I'm actually still trying to define myself, you know, by other people and, and how I'm seen by other people and the opinions, you know, of everyone around me, or am I defining myself by something greater, kind of higher than all of that. And I think that's, you know, that's ultimately what the book's about, but that was the challenge, you know, and, and I did expose a lot of the things that people probably don't know, you know, about what it takes and, and what it's like to be in the public eye, you know, public eye and such. You were brought up to be a baseball star and your father was as many parents of great athletes or great musicians or great actors, people in the world in which you have to perform. He was extremely involved, your father, to the point um, as you say in your book, that you you no longer, even when you were an adult, were thinking for yourself. How do you look back now at your childhood? Yeah, I think when I was in it, I wasn't totally aware. And obviously, as an adult, we can look back and through the wisdom and realize what was really happening. Um, but for me, you know, I was just like a kid in San Diego growing up, you know, humble, humble life. And my father was a former musician, but also a former talent manager. And so what I didn't realize until I wrote the book is that I was being raised by a man who was, you know, made it his job to garner, to garnish people for success, to, to train them on how to get to where they need to go. And of course, there was a lot of good that came from that and, you know, have financial freedom now and, and all these things. But there was a lot of bad, which was, you know, I, my own kind of intuition and, and gut instinct wasn't always trusted or even really factored in to the decisions that I made, even as a man, you know, as a major leaguer, my father was kind of telling me that he knew better and, mm. you know, I would do it his way. And, and that really hurt me in a lot of ways just for my personal growth. We're speaking with Barry Zito, the former major league pitcher, the former Cy Young Award winner, whose new book is Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. And I've already said, uh, 
how impressive it is um, that, that you really confront and spell out your demons here in this book in a way that I haven't seen in a sports memoir from a significant figure on the landscape of sports, maybe since Andre Agassi's groundbreaking memoir, Open, which I think was published mm. now 10 years ago. Um, and one of the things you talk about is how you dealt with sudden fortune and sudden fame when you were a young pitcher after winning the Cy Young Award in only your second full season. Looking back now at that guy almost two decades ago, who was he? What, how did he understand his place in the world? Yeah, well, I was raised, you know, I think a lot of times we go back and we see how do we see the world, and that does shape how we deal with our environment as we grow and become adults. But, you know, I was always told by my parents, you know, and they had the best of intentions, but, you know, that you're special and you're not like the rest of the kids and, you know, you, there's just something special about you. And and so as I had big success early in my career there with the Oakland A's, I started to believe it because then I saw other people cheering my name and there was this adoration happening around me and there was no sense of really gratitude for all of this. It was always ingrained into me that, Hey, you're working hard. You've focused on this goal. You're thinking the right way. And this is what happens. You can actually dictate your circumstances when you focus on the right things in the right way. And so the lack of gratitude really is, is was, that was the problem. Is anybody capable of gratitude in the moment like that, though? I, I mean, you were around a lot of great players for a long time and athletes from other sports. Um, you know, don't you have to keep pushing yourself? And if you, if you're grateful for it, isn't it almost as if, um, you don't work for it anymore? Or is that, the, that mm -hmm. the wrong way to look at it? No, that's great. That's a great question. I mean, I, you know, yeah, I think when you're grateful for something, I, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, I started throwing a curveball when I was seven. You know, maybe other kids didn't start till they were 10 or 11. But I, I worked hard at pitching, you know, my whole life, and like so many other kids do. I, I don't know why I ended up getting to where I did or winning Cy Young, and other kids don't. So in the real world, if, if we're being real with ourselves, do we really control all of that? I mean, is hard work and focusing on goals really going to guarantee the success. I mean, I could tell you that it would uh, when I was having success myself, but when things started turning sour, I was working just as hard, if not harder. I was focusing on the right things twice as much, and it still wasn't happening. And so that's when I realized that actually my worldview, something was not adding up to reality. And, and that's when a lot of change started to take place in my life. And one of the dirty secrets about any uh, line of work, and, and we tell you tell young people, you know, if you work hard, as you say, and you dedicate yourself and you're committed and you deny yourself certain things, you're setting yourself up for success. But luck and circumstance and situational things are always a major component of it. They really are. Yeah. And those things are out of our control. And I'm certainly not saying just, you know, sit around and sit on the couch and wait for something good to happen. I, I think it's a team effort. I think, you know, for me, you know, whatever you call that other side, whether it's God, whether it's luck, whether it's, you know, the powers that be, uh, you know, that that stuff has to fall into place, too. But, you know, we can only control what we control. So, you know, if we can do everything in our control, you know, have the right nutrition, you know, train as hard as you can, you know, work on your delivery. OK, now you've done your job. And if this is truly going to be your purpose, you know, and, and this plan for your life is, is what it is, then it's probably going to work out. And but if it's not. There's another plan. There's a greater plan. And for me, you know, I'm speaking now from the wisdom that I've gained personally. Is I do believe that we were either meant to do this or we weren't. Depend, you know, no matter how hard we work or not. And and there's a greater purpose, I believe. And, and Barry, you know, 
you achieve this uh, stunning success at a very young age. Uh, you, you have this curveball that is one of the great pitches in the game at the time, a great weapon. Was there a point at which you were able to kind of stand on the mountaintop back then and and survey the landscape and say, I'm here, I'm the king of the hill? Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, when, when you're the, you know, the best in the game, even just for that year, for me, I mean, it really, it was the greatest achievement, right. To, to get this Cy Young, this pinnacle of success in my second year, but it also became a terrifying thing in my life because, you know, I think the healthy mindset would have been, you know, I'm working as hard as I can at baseball. I'm doing everything I can control. And I'm also, not attached to it being this way or that way. Like I've literally done everything I can and now I'm going to let go. You know, that, that was not the mindset. This was, I've done everything I can. I deserve a Cy Young and now I deserve, you know, I'm going to keep working and I'm going to win five more. Or like my father was saying, 10, you know, 10 total Cy Youngs. But this fear started growing of how do I repeat this? How do I maintain this success? And that's where the gratitude could have helped was, I actually have nothing to do with that. I, I don't know why they voted for me. I'm just throwing this ball the best I can. Well, what was it like, the anxiety, uh, the pressure you felt to be the Barry Zito everyone had seen you uh, become as a great pitcher, very young in the game? Yeah, I mean, it was it was overwhelming. I couldn't shoulder it, actually. I mean, and again, if, if I had a mindset or really something – taught to me as a child that, you know, there baseball is not the most important thing in my life. You know, my father made baseball so important that he was telling my sisters, don't talk to Barry today. He's starting, you know, and when I was 12 years old, he's saying that. So <laughs> baseball is literally my God. And so, you know, when, when I'm sitting there, have to justify, you know, the Cy Young and do it again, uh, I felt immense pressure. You know, I was taking credit for all of my success and again, no gratitude. So I, it was all because of me. And so now because of me, how do I repeat this? And, and eventually I just got crushed under the weight of, of that pressure. In reading your story, Barry, in some ways it, it reminds me of, um, what Alex Rodriguez, who now works at ESPN, kind of went through. And he had all this success as a young player, and so many people had him uh, pegged as the future of the game. A and then he signs an enormous contract. Uh, strangely enough, exactly twice as much money as you signed for, 252 versus 126. And then he goes to the Texas Rangers, and it's not what he expected. And the kid that everybody loved in Seattle is now being blamed in some ways for the Rangers' failure to compete the way they had competed before, and things kind of spiral in a bad way for him in Texas, and and, and he looks for an exit, and he ends up in New York. Um, you signed that $126 million contract with the Giants, and uh, and, and all of a sudden, um, you're not just uh, this great young pitcher that everybody loves. There are expectations that come with that. Absolutely. And, you know, you know, he who makes, you know, a lot of money has a lot of responsibility. Of course, we know that uh, in any walk of life. But uh, for me, you know, I, I went over there and, and at that point, my career had been kind of slowly diminishing over the few years in Oakland. And so I was trying to compensate in other ways, right? So I was trying to go out and in the nightlife in Hollywood in the off seasons and, you know, try to be relevant there. And, 
you know, trying to really make up for the fact that I just wanted to really pitch good on the mound. But since I was having a tougher time and then going to San Francisco, you know, I was trying to make up for it in other ways. And so when that contract finally came, I kind of saw that as a way to boost my, you know, importance in the world instead of just say, again, I don't really know why that contract happened. I, I don't take responsibility for that. I'm just throwing this ball the best I can and I hope great things happen. And again, I, it was, you know, it became a situation where I was only trying to justify the money every five days, you know, great intentions to try to prove that I'm worth it. But, you know, I felt like if I didn't throw a complete game shutout that I was failing. And and that was a heavy burden to carry for many years. We're speaking with Barry Zito about his new memoir, Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. Well, why, why, why did your career um, not continue on the same path it had been when you were very young? Why, why weren't you the same pitcher? Um, you know, it's funny because I... I I look at the headspace of some of these guys that I've played with that can maintain the success. And I think that a lot of them have, most of them have something in their life more important than baseball. And they keep a perspective on their job. Well, it's just a game and I love it and I play it, but I go home and, you know, I leave it at home. And and I know even superstars in the game today, how they see the game. And, and for me, I didn't see it that way. You know, I would hear guys in the clubhouse as a rookie say, well, baseball is what I do. It's not who I am. And I remember thinking, this guy is not focused. He has, you know, he needs to go all in. And so for me, being defined by the game destroyed me in the game. You know, I took everything that I did, you know, I took credit for it all. And when it didn't go well, I took the blame. And if I had more perspective on the game, I would not have taken it as seriously. I would have still worked very hard, but I wouldn't have taken it as seriously. And I think that would have freed me up on the mound to let my talent come to the surface every five days. And then one of those moments you describe in the book, which really is an inflection point in your story, uh, the Giants uh, get to the postseason in 2010 and your manager, Bruce Bochy, uh, says, you're not coming with us. How did that affect That's you? That's right. Yeah, that crushed me. I mean, it destroyed me. Uh, it destroyed a part of me that I'm glad is gone now. Um, but and well, that's not gone. But my self sufficiency, my sense of I can do this by myself. You know, I, I tried to bullhead my way through those the contract for four years and came up, you know, really short. I mean, I, I pitched terribly for four years, and at the end of that fourth season the team was going to the playoffs that I was paid to lead them to. And then I was told I couldn't play. I wasn't good enough. So I could sit and watch from the dugout as they, you know, live their dreams, you know, going for a world series and they ended up winning the world series. And, uh, you know, but when I got that news from Bochi, I came home and I called my father and I said, you know, dad, I'm, I'm thinking about quitting. This is terrible, but you know, I need to know if you'll still love me if I quit. And, you know, his answer was, that's a terrible business decision, but of course I would still love you. And so that really forced me to, <laughs> you know, figure out what was happening on that side. And then my father actually had a stroke a few days later, went into the hospital. And so really the two things that defined me as a human being, baseball and my father, were both taken from me, which allowed immense growth, but of course a lot of pain. And this is something that's been in the headlines and people have been writing about ever since they got their first opportunity to see the book. But you talk about uh, in that postseason, um, and it seems like a natural human reaction, but something, again, we don't encounter this kind of candidness very often. You admit you were rooting against your team. 
I was um, there, you know, it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like going to the field with, you know, the opposing team's jerseys under mine or, you know, it was no overt kind of effort, but it was a very subtle side of me that was just really in fear that I wasn't even needed on this team anymore, yet I'm getting paid more than everybody else. And so the thing that could validate my struggling and panicking ego was if they would lose without me, and that would prove that they needed me. And and that's just the dark place I was in. Ego is a big part of this story. I mean, we all have them. Um, It's a question of, of controlling it. Absolutely. I mean, and and we need it, I think, in a lot of ways. But for me, you know, baseball was when I when I was a kid, it was a thing I loved to do. I loved to throw that ball. I loved how it felt to feel those seams come off my fingers when I'd snap a curveball. I mean, those are the subtle joys that really drive, you know, that stuff and, and what got me to where I was because I loved it. And then what it became for me was an obsession with myself, a way how do I continue to glorify myself by pitching well at this game and it became all about me and it stopped becoming about the game and that's where everything just went wrong we're speaking with barry zito about his new book curveball how i discovered true fulfillment after chasing fortune and fame after 2010 and your team does win the world series and you're not part of it how did you pick up the pieces yeah well probably the worst experience of my life and i've lost both parents and so maybe this puts into perspective how important baseball was to me at that point but you know, being on the trolley car for the 2010 World Series parade and literally wearing these big sunglasses because all the fans were just giving middle fingers, you know, pointing me to the crotch and giving all the obscene gestures you can imagine and every bad word coming off their lips, uh, you know, for about an hour on that two miles per hour slow trolley ride through San Francisco. So, you know, and then it's me like literally crying underneath the sunglasses. So that was kind of my send off on the way back to L.A., you know, for the off season. And so I actually went back and checked myself into a 12 step program for codependency because I'd realized that I couldn't handle people around me, you know, not accepting me, not thinking I was a good person or not, you know, being happy with me. And uh, that allowed me to admit, I think, for the first time that I need some higher power that can restore me my sanity. You know, I never was raised with any of these kind of things with, you know, having a foundation for something more important than, like I said, baseball. And so that that opened that cracked my head open. And, uh, you know, eight months later, with the help of my wife, I found a relationship with God for the first time. I found really more importantly, living for something else beside myself. And in 2012, you contribute to another World Series championship for San Francisco. This time you are a major part of that victory coming just two years after your experience in 2010. Uh, what did that feel like? That was a complete, you know, uh, that was an experience I never envisioned that I could have with the mindset that I did, you know, being raised with the, you know, you got to be headstrong. You got to keep fighting to the death and, you know, you have to will it and it will happen. You know, I never thought I could go have success on the pitching mound if I wasn't just overly confident and ready to stuff it down their throats and kill them. 
And so that was a mindset that I always tried to have for years, and, and it didn't really work too often for me. Um, what did work was joy, enjoying the experience of throwing a baseball and really saying, I actually can't control what the hitter does, and I'm not going to define my success today by that. So I went into these incredible two games that really reversed the seven-year contract that was not great for me. And I had the mindset of, I'm just going to enjoy this game. And, you know, if I was like, you know, God, if I'm giving up 10 runs today, I actually don't even care anymore. I'm not worried about that. I just want to feel that ball come off my fingers and that, that magical feeling of that seam ripping off my, you know, my second finger on the curveball. And it really got back to that childhood appreciation for what I did. And I stopped worrying about fans loving me and redemption. And, you know, magically we had these, great games and we won the world series and, and I got redeemed, you know, but I stopped, I stopped needing it, which was the ironic side about it. Sometimes you can care too much. Oh, that's an understatement. Absolutely. I think the, I think the thing that makes great players great is that they have a very loose grip on the game. They, they go out there, they bust their tail, they do everything they can and they are in a healthy way detached from the results. The Babe Ruth philosophy in some ways. Um, Barry Zito's new book is Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. And Barry, we're going to let you go. Um, but before we do so, you know, music is your life now and your family and your faith. And you live in Nashville and you're in the industry. Your parents had been in the industry. You've been playing the guitar your whole life. Uh, how would you describe where you are right now? Right now, I mean, I have, you know, big things I want to do in music and big goals, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm leading with joy. And I think that's the healthiest part about how I relate to life now is that, you know, I'm allowing, uh, things I can't control to not get in my way of just having a great time every day with whatever I'm doing. And that's just such a different mindset than I really ever had in my baseball career. It's a terrific book, uh, and it is, as I said earlier, uh, sometimes painfully honest memoir, Barry Zito's Curveball, How I Discovered True Fulfillment After Chasing Fortune and Fame. Barry, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us here. Jeremy, absolutely, man. Really fun. Thank you so much. I'm Jeremy Schapp, and you can listen to new editions of The Sporting Life every Saturday and Sunday morning on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app, beginning at 6 a.m. Eastern Time.